So I, I have different kinds of unbelief in my life. Now, it may not be an unbelief like you're thinking about, but I do have times in my life where there are moments of unbelief, moments of fear, moments of doubt, moments of anxiety. And if you're honest, you'd probably say, you know what, me too. I have those moments of unbelief. I have those moments of fear, moments of doubt. We all have them. And, and there are three areas of unbelief that we're going to talk about today. And, and maybe one of these areas is, is where you struggle with unbelief. We're going to talk a little bit about a general unbelief in Jesus. And maybe that's you. Maybe that's where you're at today. It, it's uh, not that you don't believe that Jesus existed, but you just have a, you're struggling with your faith. We'll talk about that. Or maybe it's a, a, an unbelief in the church. I know a lot of people who really struggle with the church in general. And they have an unbelief in denominations or an unbelief in churches. We're going to talk a little bit about that today too. Or it could be a, an unbelief in sin's consequences and, and the severity of sin. We'll talk about that for a few minutes. As we continue on in our series through the book of Mark. Now, the book of Mark is a gospel. If you're not familiar with the New Testament, a gospel is simply a biography of Jesus. And this one was written by a man named Mark who was a traveling companion of the Apostle Peter. And he wrote down the stories that Peter experienced. And uh, Mark wrote them all down in the teachings of Jesus, and he compiled them into a book that we know as the Gospel of Mark. Uh, now, when it comes to the Gospel of Mark, we've seen some themes. Uh, one of them is that Jesus is always on the move. He's always moving from one place to another, whether it's by boat or by land. Uh, he was always on the move. And that happens in today's chapter as well. Uh, we've seen that one of the themes of the Gospel of Mark is the theme of faith. And that faith is found, uh, faith is found in people who shouldn't have had much faith, and yet they express the most faith in the Gospel of Mark. Whereas those who should have had the most faith, the religious leaders, didn't have much faith at all. And so, when it comes to this idea of faith, uh, we see that it's expressed in different ways and from different corners of Palestine. Um, when it comes to other themes, uh, another theme that we've seen is that people are amazed by Jesus. They're amazed by his authority. They're amazed by his power to heal, his power to teach. That he, ta he's, he taught as one who had authority uh, not as though he was speaking from, uh, on behalf of someone else, but that he was actually speaking from God. So we've seen some of these themes throughout the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to see some of those again today. Um, if you brought a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 9. That's where we are. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can grab one out of the chair in front of you. It's on page 714 of that Bible. Uh, or you can use your favorite app on your smartphone or tablet. And tonight, at Unashamed Night, we're going to debut a brand new tool that you can use during the sermon on Sunday mornings and Saturday nights. And I'm very, very excited. I've known about it for months. And now the time has come to finally unveil it. And I'm hyping it up, and you're going to be like, what, this is it? Yeah, I know, I know, I know. I, I do this all the time. I tell people, you got to eat at this restaurant. It's so great. And they're like, yeah, it was okay. Okay, are you not? Anyway, so today we're in Mark chapter 9. Uh, Mark chapter 9 actually begins... Uh, with one verse. The first verse is the ending of Mark chapter 8. So at the end of Mark chapter 8, Jesus defines what a disciple is. And what, is someone who, what does someone look like who follows Jesus? And he says, you've got to do three things. If you want to follow Jesus, you've got to do three things. You have to deny yourself, you have to die to yourself, and you have to devote yourself to Jesus. 
You've got to deny, devote, uh, deny, die, and devote. That's what we talked about last week. Die to your, deny yourself daily, die to yourself, and devote yourself to following Jesus and what that means. That's what we talked about last week. And then at the very beginning of Mark chapter 9, uh, he talks uh, about, um, he says that some of his disciples would not see death before they saw the kingdom of God come in power. Now, this happens immediately after this when they go up on a mountain. Jesus takes three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, and they go up on a mountain for what is known as the transfiguration. And all that means is that Jesus' appearance was transformed after an encounter and experience with God the Father. It is reminiscent of what happened in Exodus chapters 33 and 34 when Moses went up on a mountain to meet with God. And Moses went up on a mountain, he met with God, the glory of God passed by him, and Moses' appearance was transformed from this experience with God. His uh, face became like lightning, uh, he, he shone like the sun, um, and uh, in fact he, his face was so br brilliant and bright that the people begged him to wear a veil anytime he came around. That's what happened when Moses met with God. And something very similar happens here in Mark chapter 9. Look at verses 2 through 4. It says, After six days Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus, and they were strengthening him. They were encouraging him because they knew what was coming, and the cross was coming. And so they're meeting with them, and, and one of the disciples, Peter, speaks up and says, it is good for us to be here. Would you like us to build some shelters for you, Jesus, Elijah, and Moses? He, and Mark says that he didn't know what he was talking about. He was kind of like in awestruck by the moment and just kind of talking out of his head. And Jesus is like, no, that's okay. It's all good. Um, and then, uh, look at verse 7. It says, Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Listen to him. And this is the voice of God the Father. And, and it's uh, very reminiscent of Jesus' baptism back in Mark chapter 1, where God said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And so, here in Mark chapter 9, he's saying, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. Meaning that this is my son, he's, this is his identity, he is the son of God, and I love him, and you should listen to him. You need to listen to him, because he has authority. So at that moment, Elijah and Moses and the cloud disappear. And Jesus uh, tells them not to tell, tells Peter, James, and John not to tell anything they've seen. Look at verse 9 and 10. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. So they still don't get it, that Jesus is going to die, and that he is going to be buried, and that he is going to rise again. They don't get it yet. And they won't get it for a while, until he actually rises from the dead. Then it all comes back. It's like, oh, it all makes sense now. That's in several weeks. Uh, we'll get to that. But for today, uh, Jesus and his disciples, uh, Jesus begins to, uh, his disciples ask him a question about Elijah. And they want to know, why does, the Bible, why does the scripture say that Elijah has to come first? Uh, and, and that's uh, a fulfillment of the prophecy of Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. It says, see, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. 
And they want to know, what does that mean? They're asking Jesus, what does that mean? And he's talking about John the Baptist, that God promised to send a prophet like Elijah before the day of the Lord came, when the day of Jesus came. And so he says, uh, I'm going to send one like Elijah, and that was John the Baptist. And the people rejected John the Baptist. They rejected his, measure, his message, and they put him to death. And then they rejected Jesus, and they put him to death as well. So the prophecies of the Old Testament are fulfilled here, this one from Malachi, in John the Baptist. And even though they rejected him and, and they killed him, uh, it's still a, pro, a, a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. So Jesus and his disciples come down from the mountain, and there is a chaotic scene going down at, at the base of the mountain. Uh, and and it's, it seems <laughs> they're fighting. The disciples, the remaining disciples, are fighting with somebody. And look at verses 17 and 18. Jesus wants to know what they're arguing about. He says, A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. So the disciples are fighting with this guy uh, about why they can't cast out this demon from his son. Look at verse 19. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they bring him, the boy. And when the spirit sees Jesus, it lets out a loud shriek. He starts to convulse the boy. And um, it's just, I, I don't know what, like I said before, I hope that there is a, a movieplex in heaven where we can see some of this happening. Like the stories of the Bible. You know, I want to see what these looked like, you know, because all of a sudden, you know, they bring the boy over to Jesus and he just freaks out, completely freaks out uh, and starts screaming and shrieking and convulsing, you know, just at the sight of Jesus. And Jesus commands the, the, um, the, the spirit to come out of him. Uh, look at verse 22. Uh, Jesus asked him, how long has he been like this? He says, from childhood, it has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can do anything. <laughs> Jesus says this. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. And this next verse is the most important verse in chapter 9. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Help me overcome my unbelief. That's what our, our whole message is about today, is overcoming unbelief. And so a crowd starts to come, over, come around, and Jesus commands the Spirit to come out, and the Spirit comes out with a shriek, and the boy appears to be dead, but Jesus, he's not dead. Jesus picks him up by the hand, and he's completely restored. He's completely healed. And then the disciples start to ask Jesus, why couldn't we cast this demon out? Jesus said, this kind can only come out through prayer. Um, and, and they want to know, well, you know, what does that mean? Uh, and, and you may be wondering, what does that mean? Why, why couldn't the disciples cast the demon out? It's because they put their faith in themselves. They didn't put their faith in God to cast this demon out. They thought, look at us. We're pretty good. You know, we've been casting out demons. We've been doing some healing. You know, they can, we got the front row to the best show in town. You know, we're pretty good. But Jesus says, unless you're going to turn to God, unless you're going to realize that God is the source of your power, you're not, you can't do anything on your own. With God, all things are possible. So 
Jesus and his disciples, uh, Jesus begins to tell his disciples that he is going to die. Again, he tells them for the second time he is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. Look at verse 32. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. And they don't understand what's going on. They don't understand why this is going to happen. But they don't say anything this time. The last time they said something, Jesus called Peter Satan. And they're like, ain't doing that again. Not going to say a word. Because Peter rebuked Jesus. When Jesus said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and they're going to kill me, and I'm going to rise from the dead, Peter's like, ain't no way, that ain't happening. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. And like all the disciples are looking at Jesus when he talks about his death again, going, mm, no, it's okay, if that's what you say, that's fine, all right. I'm not Satan. You Satan? I ain't Satan. You Satan? No, I ain't Satan. All right, we'll just let it be. So uh, the disciples then are going to Capernaum. Jesus and the disciples are on the move to Capernaum. Capernaum was Jesus' uh, base of operations for his ministry in Galilee. Uh, and so they go to Capernaum, this town, and uh, on the way, the disciples are having a discussion. In other words, they're fighting with one another. And Jesus wants to know, what are you guys talking about? Verse 37. Oh, I'm sorry. Never mind. Not 37 yet. Anyway, he wants to know what they're fighting about. I got ahead of myself. He wants to know, what are you guys fighting about? And they were fighting about who's the greatest among them. Who's the most important? Who's Jesus' favorite? You know, how many of you ever did that with your siblings? Well, I'm mom's favorite. No, I'm mom's favorite. By the way, I'm mom's favorite. She's right there. She can verify it. No, she wouldn't do that. But we know. So they're fighting. They're fighting about who's Jesus' favorite. They want to know, who is Jesus' favorite? And, and you know, they, no doubt this is because they saw Jesus take um, Peter, James, and John up, in, up on the mountain with them. It's like, why well, is he taking them up on the mountain? He likes me better. I know he does. Me and Jesus, man, we're tight. They're fighting about who's, who's the favorite. Who's the greatest? Who's going to be most important? Jesus then, what are you guys talking about? And then he takes a, uh, takes a little child and he, and he puts him in front of him. And, and children in those days, not like children in our day. Like, we worship kids in our society. We worship our kids. We'll bend over backwards for our kids. In those days, not so much. In fact, kids were seen as little more than property in those days. Like, it was like a cell phone, you know. Oh, I shouldn't say that because we worship our cell phones too. And anyway, Never mind. Um, so he says to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. And he's basically saying that, look, if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you want to be the greatest, you've got to become humble. You need to be humble like a little child. It's the upside-down pattern of the kingdom of God, that what you expect things to be, you expect things to be a certain way, Jesus flips the script, says it's not that way at all. So if you want to be great, you've got to be humble. You want to be first, you've got to be last. You want to be important, you've got to become like a little child. John pipes up. The Apostle John says this in verse 38. Teacher, said John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name. And we told him to stop. He's, he was not one of us. <laughs> you know, Jesus, he wasn't one of us. As though us is the only game in town. He's not one of us, so we told him to stop. 
you know, because that's what you'd want us to do, right? Jesus says this in verse 39. Do not stop him, Jesus said. No one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Whoever is not against us is for us. We'll talk about that extensively in about five minutes and what that means. And then he says that anyone who even offers you, if, they, if all they have is just a cup of cold water and they give it to you in my name, they will be rewarded for that. That even the most humble, the poorest person who does something kind for you in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Christ, will not miss out on a reward. They will be rewarded. And so, Jesus then begins to address the issue of sin. Verse 42. If anyone causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. That if you cause, and, and we're not sure if he was talking about the little child that he had standing in front of him, or if it was the man who was casting out demons in Jesus' name, but it's somebody who uh, the disciples looked down on. Said, if you cause one of these little ones to sin, you may as well have a millstone tied around your neck and be thrown into the sea, sleep with the fishes. And, and a millstone was a large stone that they would take, and they, there were two of them, and, and they would put grain between the millstones. A donkey would walk around and, and, and move the, the stone around to grind up the, the grain into flour, which they would make bread from. And so it's this real large, heavy granite stone. And, and he says, you may as well have one tied around your neck and thrown into the sea if you're going to cause someone to sin, because sin is serious. Sin is serious business. So serious, in fact, look at verses 43 through 47. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. And what Jesus is saying is that sin is serious business. And we don't take sin seriously enough. We don't take sin seriously enough. Sin is serious business because sin kills. And sin sends people to hell. God doesn't send people to hell. People say, how can a loving God send people to hell? God doesn't send people to hell. Sin sends people to hell. And, and so Jesus is saying sin is serious business. And it, you gotta go to, if you have to go to drastic measures to avoid sin and to keep sin from your life, you do it. Because it is better for you to uh, go to extreme measures to do away with sin than to be thrown into hell where you do not want to go. So unbelief. What kinds of unbelief are there? I believe there are three kinds of unbelief. My question for you today is, do you have unbelief in your life? Three kinds of unbelief that are addressed in Mark chapter 9. The first is an unbelief in Jesus. And maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you're thinking, you know what, I just, I'm not sure about this Jesus stuff. I'm not, I'm not sure who Jesus is. Uh, did he really rise from the dead? I and mean, did he really die on a cross? Yes, there were witnesses. It's recorded. Did he really rise from the dead? There were hundreds of witnesses that saw him rise from the dead. Uh, is he really the son of God? Yeah, he's the son of God. And maybe you're asking those kinds of questions. And you're trying to figure out for yourself, is, is this Jesus stuff really true? I'm here to tell you, yes it is, but don't just take my word for it. 
Do your investigation. Keep coming here. This is a great place to ask questions and to get your questions answered. GFCC is a safe place to ask questions. And we want you to know that you are safe here to ask those questions. And we'll work together to get the answers for you. But don't give up on faith just because you've got questions. Don't give up, up on faith just because you have doubts. Don't give up on faith just because you have unbelief in who Jesus is or who Jesus said he was or what Jesus did. Don't give up. Keep coming. Keep asking those questions. And keep experiencing the love of God through the love of his people here at GFCC. And we'll show you that Jesus is real. And that he really loves you. And he really died for you. And he really rose from the dead. And he's really coming back. Keep asking those questions. Keep coming back. Because unbelief in Jesus uh, is, is so serious. And we want to help you overcome your unbelief. Like the father who, had, who, had, who said, if you can do anything, he said, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. We want to help you overcome your unbelief. And maybe just, just taking that first step of faith to say, you know what, I, I do believe. And, and when you put your faith and trust in Jesus by believing in him and turning away from sin and repentance, confessing your faith and getting baptized, God will wash away your sins. He will cleanse you and purify you and forgive you and give you the promise of eternal life with him because God wants to live with you forever. Every single one of you. He wants to live with you forever. So if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you'll do that. And start with saying, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Second kind of unbelief is an unbelief in God's kingdom. An unbelief in the church, if you will. And maybe some of you have been hurt by the church. Maybe some of you have been, you know what, I, this is my last chance. I'm, I'm giving it one more shot and that's it. Because I've been hurt by the church before. And maybe you have an unbelief in God's kingdom. Or maybe you have an unbelief in the scope of God's kingdom. Like how many people are going to heaven? Because a lot of Christians think that they're the only ones going to heaven. A lot of churches think they're the only ones going to heaven. They've got the corner on the market. You know, our little kingdom, this is it. This is, this is it, just us. There's a great joke, and, and I love this joke, and I've told it before. I haven't told it for a while, but it, it's about how um, a man dies and goes to heaven. St. Peter's showing him around. He takes him down this long hallway, and there's these rooms on each side of the hallway. And they come up to the first room, and uh, he asks them, what are all these rooms? These are the different churches. These are different denominations, and they're, they're here, and they, they each have their own room. Oh, okay. You can tell it's a joke because there are no denominations in heaven, just saying. Anyway, so he comes out of the first room, and there, there's like this soft organ music playing, and people are sitting there quietly worshiping. Well, who are those? Well, those are the Lutherans. They're very reverent. Oh, okay. Come down to the hallway a little bit further, and look off to the right, and uh, there are people in there jumping up, shouting, screaming, hallelujah. Rock band playing, having a great time. Who are those people? Those are the Pentecostals. They're really happy to be here. So they're really excited. So, uh, and he goes, all right, great. And so let's go a little bit further down the hallway. He's like, I need you to be really, really quiet when we pass by this next room. Okay, all right. So they kind of tiptoe by the room, and get a little bit further down the hall. He's like, why did we have to be so quiet around those people? He said, those are the Christian church people. They think they're the only ones here. Oh. Insert denomination here. 
Folks, there are 40, there are almost 40,000 denominations in America. 40,000. Do you know what Jesus prayed for the night before he went to the cross? Unity. He said, Father, may they be one as you and I are one. And what have we managed to do? Divide ourselves 40,000 ways. Because we're right and you're wrong. Our church has it all figured out. Our church has the corner on the market. Our denomination has the corner on the market. Well, we're not a denomination. Oh, I'm sorry. Our non-denominational denomination has it all figured out. We've got it figured out. We got the corner of the market. Our corner of the kingdom is really the only corner of the kingdom that counts. Folks, we're all on team Jesus, okay? We all love Jesus. And we may do it in different, we may express it in different ways. We may have different understandings. And we may have different understandings over some pretty serious issues. Baptism, communion, fellowship, uh, worship. We may have some, some different, some pretty strong differing opinions. But I'm here to tell you right now, if, if you love Jesus, we're on the same team. And, and my view of God's grace, I'll admit, my view of God's grace is like this. And I'm hoping, I'm praying I'm, I, I, that God expands my view of his grace, that it's, it's more like this. And there, I, you're going to get to heaven, and I'm going to get to heaven, and we may just be really surprised at who all made him. First of all, it should be us. We should be most surprised that we made him. And we may be surprised that some other people made it too. And we should rejoice over that kind of grace. Just like when, Jesus, when the, the, apostles, the disciples told Jesus, well, we told him to stop because he's not one of us. Jesus says, if they're not against us, they're for us. And so people who claim the name of Christ, there's 2.1 billion of us across the planet. And we may not see eye to eye on everything. We need to stop dividing ourselves. We need to stop pointing fingers at one another. We need to stop judging and condemning one another, saying you don't quite understand Jesus like we do, as though we have it all figured out. An infinite God... And we think we've got him figured out. An all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, unconditional, loving God. And we think we've got him figured out so that we're right and everyone else is wrong? I'm sorry. That kind of theological arrogance drives me nuts. We have got to work with other Christ followers, with other people who love Jesus, who are on ta hashtag Team Jesus. We have got to work together. Because there are a whole lot of people who have no clue who Jesus is and that he loves them and that he died for them and that he came back to life. So many more people who don't believe that than who do. And we need to reach those folks instead of fighting with other Christ followers about finer points of doctrine. We need to say, how can we work together to reach those who are going to hell? Instead of pointing at other churches and going, well, you don't have it right, and so therefore you're going to hell. Well, where did we think that's our job? Where did we come up with this concept that, oh, no, it's my job to tell other churches that they're going to hell? I'm sorry, that's not my job. That's not, a, it's not, on, the, it's not on my resume, and it's not a, they didn't teach us that in Bible college. And there's nowhere in Scripture that tells me that that's my job. Nowhere. Not yours either. So you may have an unbelief in the scope of God's kingdom. Help me overcome my unbelief. Lastly, you, uh, oh, oh, wait, I almost forgot, I almost forgot. There's a whole, this, this thing. Our job is not to tell other churches that they're not on the guest list. Your job and my job is to love people in Jesus' name and to present the gospel in all of its beauty and simplicity to everyone who will listen. This is our job. 
Not to tell other churches that they're going to hell. But to present the gospel. The good news of Jesus. In its beauty and simplicity to everyone who will listen. Not to tell other people. Not to tell the churches. Well, you're not on the guest list. You're going to get bounced at the door. That's not our job. To love people in Jesus' name. And to present the beauty and the simplicity of the gospel to everyone who will listen. You may have an unbelief in Jesus. You may have an unbelief in God's kingdom. You may have an unbelief in sin's consequences. It's the last point. Jesus says sin is serious business, folks. We need to do anything and everything we can to do away with it. Whether it's the things we think, the things we say, or the things we do. Or the things that we don't do. We need to do away with the sin in our lives. Because sin kills. Sin kills. Sin killed Jesus. Jesus died because of our sins. Sin killed Christ. Was it the Jews? Was it the Romans? It was our sin that killed Christ. Sin is serious business. And we can't sweep it under the rug. We can't laugh it off. We can't just say, ah, that's no big deal. It is a big deal. Sin kills. Sin sends people to hell. And our job is to sound the warning bell. Our job is to love people, to show them the love of God. Because I believe that love changes lives. It really does. And we will love people in Jesus' name and share with them the good news of Christ. And if we will take sin seriously in our own lives so that we do not come off as hypocrites. you never heard of a Christian being called a hypocrite, have you? If we will do away with sin in our own lives, we will be less hypocritical. Now here's the thing. We have a sinful nature. We all sin, we all fall short. Every single one of us. Believe it or not, you're a sinner, I'm a sinner, he's a sinner, she's a sinner. Wouldn't you like to be a sinner too? Any Dr. Pepper fans? No? No, you don't want to be a sinner. None of us do. And that's where grace comes in. Because God, in his loving grace, forgives our many sins over and over again. He, in his grace, washes us clean. Time and time again. There's a phrase in verse 24 where the Father says, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Would you say that with me? I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Whatever your unbelief is, whether it's an unbelief in Jesus, help me overcome my unbelief. If it's an unbelief in the scope of God's kingdom, help me overcome my unbelief. If it's an unbelief in the consequences and the severity of sin, help me overcome my unbelief. And I believe that Jesus can help you overcome your unbelief.